0: is a consuming fire think about that a minute but he's not willing that any should perish you know if they don't people don't get saved they're all they have to look forward to is a fire that does not consume the lake of fire is going to be mighty hot for a lot of people there's men there that Adolf Hitler Mussolini Stalin millions of people were killed by their hands because of them And those men, if they never repented and never trusted Christ as Savior, they're burning right now while we're here. They will never stop burning. I uh, had a friend, Dave Gibbs. I don't know if you've ever heard of David. He gave an illustration of a young man who uh, wanted to know what hell was like. And his friend worked at a laboratory where they dried test tubes, and they used this powder they would put in there and if there's any moisture in that tube it would ignite and dry it right now any moisture at all and the guy thought he'd be cool he he took and stole some of it and took it home cuz he was having a party and uh, he was trying to impress his friends when he was drunk and he took some of that powder and he had the water running in the sink and he threw it in there and poof it exploded and everybody, hey, that's great, they all laughed. And then all of a sudden he was getting ready to do it again just for fun. And the thing slipped out of his hand and the whole vial went into the thing. And it exploded all over him. And he was on fire every, I mean, he was in torment because every drop of sweat created another fire spark on his body. They rushed him to emergency and the, the doctor tried to literally... When they take in a burn patient, they take cold rags and put them, towels and put them on. They put this wet towel on and they ignited, and he, they, they didn't know how to treat the guy, so they actually started filleting his skin off. Think about that a minute. And uh, he kept yelling, "I'm in hell! I'm in hell! Help me!" And the guy was the, the young man working in the, in the uh, OR there. He was a born-again believer, and he got the man to trust in Christ, but it didn't stop the fire, amen? Sometimes the consequences of our sin does not stop just because we get saved, amen? Sin carries great consequence. We do not realize how powerful that is. I beg you, I plead with you, if you're not saved, Please get saved. Don't put it off. You say, oh, I've, I've heard it. I've got plenty of time. No, you don't. You don't know how much time you've got. You walk out that door, you could die. Boom, just like that. Boast not thyself of tomorrow, the Bible says, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. I'm telling you, you need to trust Christ as Savior. And if you are saved, get in the will of God. Find out what he wants you to do and just do it, do it, do it. That wasn't the message. I don't even know where that came from, but that was good, amen? It was a good start. I appreciate, Brother Dill, the message on Peter. Peter was a lot like us. He had the ability to uh, forsake God, (laughs) turn his back on God, say, I don't even know the guy. I never knew him. (laughs) And yet we do the same thing, amen? We can criticize him, but he's the only one who ever got out and walked on water. Now, I take that back. I walk on water every winter. Where I live, the water gets froze solid so I can walk on it. But (laughs) we had a girl from Africa, young black African girl from Ghana who was going back to her country as a missionary. We had her in February at our church, and she was all excited about being there because she had never seen snow. Of course, we only had about three feet of it, you know, and so she was so excited about the snow. And right after the morning service, Pastor took her, took her out with his Jeep out on Lake Winnebago, and it was fro solid you know. And she got out and had pictures taken of her so she could go back and tell everybody in Ghana she walked on water. I don't know. That sounds exciting. Would she have been shocked if she'd have broke through? But anyway, because <laughs> that happens, my Pastor Randy King did that. He took his whole family out, all dressed up in their Sunday best, high heels and all, drove out to see what the ice fishermen doing. We're doing, but he decided not to stay where the roads were, and he broke through with his new van, and he sunk the rear end in, and they had to walk about a mile back on the ice in high heels, and they were not happy. Do you know he never did that again with them? I don't know why, <laughs> but anyway, turn in your, huh? I should never, I didn't wear high heels. Lori, 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 and get out of here, you, who are you? Anyway, turn in your Bibles this morning. There are a lot of people that don't have one. We're going to take and send them to them. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, I want you to look again at 2 Corinthians chapter 8. We touched on this on Wednesday. You know, that was the first day that I started preaching here. Uh, I'm telling you, this has been a blessed week. I want to truly thank you all for all your attendance and the food. Wow. You guys could get fat around here. I mean, you know, uh, you're going to have to work or you'll gain weight. But anyway, keep your preacher working. We don't want him to get too heavy. Amen. But anyway, I just praise God for you and all that you've done and all that you're doing and all that you're going to do. I I, I know this church is hard. I've read the newsletters of missionaries that you have on the back, and if you haven't read them, you ought to. Uh, you, These are people that you support. And... Uh, They pray for you, you pray for them. And that's an important thing. But here we have, it says in verse 1, Moreover, brethren, we do you to wit the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, how that in a great trial of affliction the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded unto the riches of their liberality." For to their power I bear record, yea, and beyond their power, they were willing of themselves, praying us with much entreaty that we would receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of of the ministering to the saints. I want you to read verse 5 together with me. And this they did not as we hoped, but first gave their own selves to the Lord, and unto us by the will of God. Father, we do love you today more than life itself. Lord, we just praise you and thank you for this church and what it means in this corner of thy vineyard. We thank and praise you for what you're doing, what you're about to do, and as we watch the young people taking up the offering, Lord, that's the future of this church. I just pray, God, you'd put a hedge of protection about each family and each child, God, that you'd keep Satan from hurting and hindering. Lord, I pray that you'd save the young ones as soon as they're able. And, and Lord, I just plead the blood of Christ on this church that you'd do a mighty work here and continue to just bless and give them souls for their labors, pour out your love and mercy and grace on this island, Lord, and just do a work through this church that we could rejoice with them and knowing that. All, you're, you're doing a work, and they are being involved in the work of God. God, help each one of us to be in the very center of your will, and as these Thessalonians were, help us to be willing to give ourselves to you every day, trusting you for what comes about today. Lord, use us for your glory, and we'll praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. This chapter deals with giving. Of course, you expected that because it's faith, promise, giving, service, right? Amen? You know, I like what he says in verse 8 of chapter 8. He says, I speak not by commandment. Isn't that amazing? God doesn't command us to give offerings. He allows us to have the free will to determine what we want to give. We need to thank God for that privilege. He does command us to give a tithe. That's 10%. I saw a guy giving, He said he was given seven percent because he said I took the other three for something else. I said you can't do that, you know. Ten percent is what God requires. He said. Guy said I can't live on ninety percent. Well, then maybe give God ninety percent and see if you can live on ten. Amen. I know a guy that did that. He in his business he gave his business to God. I know several men. To be honest with you that have done that and they've given their money. It isn't their money. They know that. This is God's money. This is not my business. This is God's business. They've given their business to God, made him a full partner. And now, you know, the, the guy who started Hiles Anderson College, and he was the money behind the Anderson part, he was given 90% of his income, and he, and he really didn't know how much he was given. He was living on 10%, and he was still a multimillionaire. God blessed him because of his giving, not because he was special. But because he put God first in his giving, giving, giving to God, you can't outgive him. Number one. And he tested God. The Bible says, prove me, God said in Malachi he says, prove me now that I'll not open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing that'll run over. Amen. But you know, he says in that same passage, if you don't give, you know, he won't rebuke the devourer for your sakes. Ooh. You know, if you're not giving, maybe you're being devoured and you don't know it. The devourer will devour you and your giving and your living if you don't start giving to God the right portions. Amen? Put God first. Be be honest. I'm being honest with you. It's just simple, simple, simple things. But God tells us to give, not grudgingly. I love the way this little boy came up laughing, giving the money. It wasn't his money to give anyway. By the way, the money you have isn't yours to give either. It was given to you by God. You wouldn't even have a job if God didn't give it to you. You couldn't even work if God didn't give you the health needed to work. Every good and perfect gift, the Bible says, cometh down from the Father above, in whom there is no variableness nor shadow of turning. He is no respecter of persons. He don't, he, he don't care who you really are. He just cares what you do, amen? Because he knows if you're a child of God, You're a joint heir with Christ. All that the Father's given to Jesus, by the way, is yours. You're rich, and you just don't realize it. You have the richest father in the universe. (laughs) He's up there, amen? And all you have to do is you have not because you what? Ask not. I mean, my kids, when they were little, yours never did this, but mine did. Daddy, can I get this? I'm sorry, we can't afford it. A little later, Daddy, please, can I get this? A little later, Dad, can I get this? Can I? Eventually after the, all of the, can I, can I, can I? Okay, okay, I'll buy it, okay. Why do we give in? Why don't we hold out? Because we love them. And it isn't going to hurt them, you know, and we're trying to finagle so we don't have to spend that extra money, but we give it to them when we love them, because we love them. God loves us with a perfect love. He, every good and perfect gift cometh down from the Father above, he said. All that you have came from Him, and all that you ha- uh, have or ever will have came from Him and will come from Him. God knows how to bless you better than you do. Amen. You you cannot get a better job than the go- job that God gives you. I remember I when I first got saved, I, I prayed about work to get a job out of the Navy. I got out of the Navy, I was a radarman. The, the only thing that I could, could get a job in as a radarman was air controlling, and I didn't want to do that anymore. And so I prayed about a job, but I was also a printer. Since I was in ninth grade, I would taken printing in high school for years. I worked for two and a half years uh, running an InstaPrint right out of high school. I Had a good job. Then I joined the Navy, thinking I could be a lithographer's mate because I figured they needed printers. But I found out you had to be E5 or above right away, <laughs> and you had to have a, a, you know there had to be a billet for you or a place to work. And they, didn't, they told me I was qualified to be a radarman. I didn't know why they qualified me there, but they needed radarmen. So I was immediately qualified to go to school to learn to be a radarman. So that's what I did because they told me to. You know, and uh, God bless that. Oh, I, I mean, I used that in my life. In the service, I needed a good job. That was a good job. When I got out, I, I looked for a job, and I couldn't find a job. Not in the field of radar. And, uh, but I knew Printing. And I prayed about it. And my father-in-law worked at a company called Millprint, and they printed candy wrappers, potato chip bags, and the sorted packaging goods. And so he said, why don't you apply there? I said, well, I'll pray about it. So I prayed about it, and I went to apply, and they hired me right on the spot because of background, I guess. And I got to working there, and I started out on the low low end of the totem pole, literally. You know, I was a helper on a slitter press. Slitting little rolls of paper candy bar wrappers, you know, so people could eat them, but anyway, packaging them in boxes and shipping them to the company but also i then I was bumped down because of somebody else, and I became the janitor, <laughs> and I started sweeping floors and cleaning toilets and by the way, no job should be beneath you I just and be honest with you, every one of the jobs I had i I thank God for it because he's the one who gave it to me. And I always looked at going, when I went to the factory, I I looked at it as my mission field. This is where God put me to be a witness to the people working here. I didn't know anybody there, so I started witnessing to people and giving out gospel tracts. And, you know, I got a lot of threats, but nobody ever followed through. Uh, But I did see about 11 or 12 people saved in the tenure I was with the mill. And I saw people say, anyway, I remember I, the, the, a, a higher posting came up to go to run a, 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 a machine upstairs in another department. And I signed the posting, and the union guys stood around me and said, you've only been here three weeks. You, don't, you ain't going to get that job because you've got to have some seniority. You don't have any seniority. I said, listen, I'm going to pray about it, and if God wants me to get that job, I'll get that job. You know what? Nobody else signed for it. Ain't that amazing? And I got that job. And I moved into that department. And then I signed another posting, and a a little better job. And I got that job, and I prayed about that. And I signed another posting, and I got that job, and I prayed about them each time. Every time I signed a posting, I'd pray about it, and God would raise. In fact, it took six months for all my raises to catch up to me because he was promoting me. After a year and a half there, I ended up being the second shift foreman. There, twenty guys with 20 years' experience couldn't get the job. Why did I get it? God gave it to me. Yeah. It wasn't me. Amen. I just was faithful. Every time I did my job, I, I, I gave him all the glory. I worked hard. I put forth a, an effort. I got chewed out by guys in the union. You're going to put us out of work, getting out all that work. Really. One machine I was running used to run one shift, eight-hour day. That's it because they couldn't get enough orders for it. They put me on that machine, and I stood there and look, looking at it, and I learned how to run two rolls at one time instead of one. So I doubled the production. Or did that get me in trouble. And they realized, hey, this machine can put it out, so the salesmen were able to sell more. And then they ended up hiring another stockman, and two more operators, and two more shifts. Now, how did that put anybody out of work? I don't know, but it seemed to me that like everybody's working more. Amen. And God seemed to bless those things. One time I was working on a machine, and this guy was running this pouch machine that made little cheese pouches to put five pounds of cheese in and for the cheese companies like Borden and Chester, you know, Clearfield, whatever. Uh, he comes up to me and he says, Jim, I have been watching you. By the way, people watch you. He said, I've been watching you, and every time you have a problem with your machine, it looks like you're praying. This guy was a retired chief petty officer from the Coast Guard. He was no small talk guy. He was sharp. And I said, yeah, I probably am praying. But he said, I noticed right away it doesn't take you long to get the machine running again. I said, I guess so. He said, listen, I'm having a problem with my machine. I know you used to run it. And I can't, I've been working in, on it for an hour trying to get it running and the girls that work with me are getting mad at me because all they're getting is wet, hot glue on their, wax on their fingers and, and they're mad at me and they're cussing me out. And he says, can you come over and pray for my machine? <laughs> okay. I thought, whoa, that's good. So I go over there by his machine and I'm standing there and there's three women, one catcher and one corner cutter and one box lady boxing stuff. And the machine right next to him is the same machine, and they had three women. So I'm looking around, and I ran the machine and I tried to get it running. And It was wrinkling really bad, and I couldn't figure out what was really wrong. So I shut the machine off, and I said, Well, let's pray. And everybody went, I went, I went, You know, everybody got real spiritual around me. I look, and all these women are bowed, and he's bowed his head. The other guy shut his machine off, and all four of them are praying. And I'm thinking, Oh, God, this is wonderful, but what do I do? What do I say? And so I started praying. You know, God, you're the God of Isaac and Mo- and Abraham, and you know Moses, and you're able, and you know you're Elijah and Elisha, and you you and I went on and on, and I and I said, uh, you know more about this machine than anybody because you know the man that designed it and built it, and and you know what's wrong with it. And Lord, Bob's trying to do a good job and get you know get out some good production, and he's not trying to make it hard for these women that are working for him, and and Lord, uh. We're trying to have a good day at work, and I pray, God, you give me some wisdom to help him. If you 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 know, if you can give me some wisdom to help him get this machine running. Honestly, I was praying, hoping God would tell me something, because as long as I prayed, I kept on praying, hoping I'd hear something from God, but nothing happened. Anyway, I, I, when I said amen, eight people said amen. But I still didn't know anything more than I knew when I started praying. But then I pretended. You have to sometimes pretend, okay? So I pretended to know what I was doing. And I started all over again and checking everything out and checking the web, how they lined it up. And I started up the machine. And and all of a sudden, God drew my attention to this little bitty piece. Do you know it's the little foxes that spoil the vines? It's usually not a big thing in your life that just causes you the problem. It's a little thing. It's like a guy driving a car. He hears this tick, tick, tick. Oh, what is that? And the wife said, what are you talking about? He can hear the problem, you know, but he has to find it anyway. And I'm, my eyes were drawn to this little piece of, a, called a former, where the web went behind it. And I'm looking at it, and I realized this guy put this in upside down. So I stopped the machine, pushed the web back, turned the former around, put it together, turned it on, started running perfect. And this guy says, "I'd never believed this if I wouldn't have seen it with my own eyes, Jim." Ain't gonna let nobody ever make fun of you no more. You know how to get a hold of God, okay? And he defended me if I'd walk in the lunchroom. Shut up! Quit! Quit swearing! The preacher's here. I wasn't a preacher then, but you know how people are. And you you gain respect when you're faithful to God because God demands respect. And when you show them a God that's powerful, see. God can do the impossible. God, God can save anybody. But God wants to use you and I to reach them. And our testimony is so critical. Those three women working with Bob that day, those are the three of them got saved, and one of the ladies on the other machine later got saved. She she was one of the oldest ladies working there. And one day she come running out of the office, and she says, hey, Jim, 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 I know you know the Bible. What was that mountain that the, the, the ark settled on? I said, you mean Ararat? That's it. And she ran back in, and I don't know what she was doing. she came back later, and she said, we won. So, what did we win? Five pounds of flour on the radio station, if you could name the mountain. I won a, a dozen cookies. <laughs> so anyway, I mean, you know, you don't know what these people are going to do, but they did, they did have respect for me because of faith in God. And because God's powerful, God wants to use, the, use us literally, believe it or not, to do the impossible. That's right. I mean, you, you and I pray about things, but ask God to do the impossible. Remember, we're not done already. Oh, good. <laughs> anyway, I, I mentioned this the other day that my pastor, Howard Nelson, put on the wall in his office, attempt something so big that unless God intervenes, it's bound to fail. I want to tell you something. That's reaching for the impossible. Because if God doesn't help us to reach this world, it'll never get reached. And we collect, collectively, we need to trust God to help us reach the world through faith, promise, giving is one tool that God gives us. Over in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, in verse, verse 6, it says, But, they, but I say this. He which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly, and he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Every man, uh, according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth the cheerful giver. Now notice verse 8. And God is able, (laughs) he's able to do anything, he's able to make all grace abound toward you that ye having all sufficiency in all things may abound to every good work. You will never lack when you put God first. Back in chapter 8 and verse verse 9 or verse 10 he says, and herein is my I give my advice, for this is expedient for you who have begun before not only to do but also to be forward a year ago. You know faith promises planning A year in advance, we we take up a faith promise offering and people will put down on a piece of paper, we're going to all get one of these and you're going to write on one part how much you plan to give God each week for, for missions and then you're going to tear it in half and you're going to give this part to the church and this part you're going to keep and you're not going to tell anybody but you and God what you're giving. And this half the part that you give to church is going to have, they're going to take it And they're going to sit down and add it up. And then they will know exactly how much every week is coming in for your missionaries. And they can form a budget. I don't know about you, but most businesses like to work off of a budget. And a church is no different. It's nice to be able to budget and to know that you have enough money promised to be able to meet the needs of your missionaries. Now, whether it comes in or not, that's your responsibility. But you need to... Make sure what you promise is from God. Don't just write a figure out. Oh, I can give a million dollars. You don't have a million. If you had a million, you'd give half. But no, you don't. If you had two hogs, would you give one? But anyway, you heard that later. But anyway, maybe uh, maybe you got to sell a fishing boat. Ooh, 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 where are you going here? I don't know. But anyway, whatever it takes it goes on in that passage. It says in verse eleven, it says, "And now therefore perform the doing of it." that as there was a readiness to will, so there may be a performance. Performance also out of that which ye what? Have. It says, what do you have? What did God say to Moses? What do you have in your hand? A rod. Throw it down. He threw it down and it became a snake. Woo. Pick it up. Are you crazy? (laughs) He picked it up. It became a rod again. What do you have in your hand? that God can use. Throw it down. See what God can do with it. Throw it in the offering and say, here, here's mine. Put it in there. See what God can do. He can multiply it. He can do anything. He's still God, amen? He hasn't changed his mind about it either, by the way. Remember, for if there be first a willing, verse 12, a willing mind, it is accepted according to what a man hath and not according to what he hath not. You can't give what you don't have. You can't suppose on the future. Oh, God, I will give so much if you give it to me. And then tomorrow you get a heart attack and die. You didn't give a dime. No, I don't think that's the way God works. God expects you to give the abundance of what you have. Sit down. Don't sit there and penny ante with God. Don't, oh, I can give anybody... just say, God, what do you want me to give? And then when God lays a figure on your heart, give it. That's a scary thought, isn't it? It's kind of like your wife coming to ask you for money. Give her the most you think you should give her because you'll get a lot more reward for it. Amen? Trust. Were you laughing, Brother Dill? <laughs> anyway, be willing to give. Don't be afraid to give. You can't outgive give God. If God doesn't make a mistake, by the way. If he tells you to give something, give it. Right. I mean, you can't do it, do, it, do wrong, given what God tells you to give. Uh, I mean, I'm telling you, it works. I, I'm, you're looking at a guy who's been in the ministry 46 years, and and my wife can attest to this fact. When God tells me to give money, I give it. I'll be in a mission conference, and another missionary is having a harder time than I am. And uh, Alex, sometimes I've given my whole love offering to him. Why? Because I didn't need it? No. Because he needed it more? Probably? No. Because God told me to give it. I was in a church one time, preached a whole week of meetings, just like I had here. I preached hard on giving. And this is the faith, first time they had a Faith Promise Conference, and I was doing my very dead-level best to preach this. And the last year, they gave all of $6,000 to missions. This is a church that operated off of... A, Oh, I don't know two hundred thousand dollar a year budget, and they gave six thousand to missions. They didn't even give ten percent of their income. You understand anyway, I got done, and I was at the went to the preacher's office to say goodbye to him, and I was getting ready to leave town. By the way, he didn't know this, and I never mentioned it, but I needed literally six hundred dollars that week to go home and pay my rent and utilities. Okay, so the secretary was there, and she handed me an envelope, Jim Hoffman on it, and I put it in my pocket. And I went to say goodbye to the preacher at his door, and there was a guy in there, one of the deacons. You'd never do this, but this guy was yelling at the preacher. Preacher, how can we ever reach that? You know what, you guys? We promised 15000 That's more than we gave last year. Well, well, well over double. And he's going on and on and on and on blaming you know yelling at the preacher like, how can these missionaries come and beg money from us? all they want is our money they don't they don't really care about us that hurt me that cut my heart I mean I don't go to a church for for money I go there to be a help and a blessing and he cut me to the heart anyway all of a sudden he comes storming out of the preacher's office and I'm standing there you know I had the hardest time not Punching his lights out. I mean, how could you yell at your preacher like that? Instead, I just smiled and said, Hi, hey, Brother Oshel, how are you? And he walked on by. He wasn't very good, I guess. But so I went to say goodbye, and preacher, as soon as he walked out, he went out the other way and got in his car and went home, and I didn't get to say goodbye to preacher. Well, so I walked out, and the secretary is very embarrassed because she knew I heard everything this guy was saying. So I go out in the car and I sit down, and my wife is there and my kids, and I opened up the envelope, you know, sometimes curious a little bit. And you know, the check was for $600. And I'm sitting there looking at it, and God said, Sign it and put it in there, give it back to him. What? You don't argue with God, but I do. I said, Are you sure? God said, give it back. All so right, Signed the check, put it in another envelope, and I wrote on the outside of the envelope, open this in front of deacon so-and-so. I don't need your money. I'm not trying to get your money. Use this to start your faith promise. You need this more than I do. And I went in, and I handed it to the secretary, and she said, Jim, you're giving back your money? Yeah, I don't need your money. You keep it, dirty money to me. God told me to give it to you. Not mine, it's yours. And I left I went home. By the way, God is faithful. When I got home in the mail, there was over $600. I had my need met. I didn't lose. Uh, I found out a week later, the rest of the news, as Paul Harvey would say, that deacon by Sunday was so humbled by God. He got up and, because he had talked to everybody in the church and Blasted the preacher and missionaries all week. God humbled that man. He got up in front of the whole church and apologized because when he, when preacher opened that envelope in front of him, he broke down and wept. It wasn't me; it was God. And I, and and you know, he became the biggest giver in that church. God blessed him. He owned a dairy farm. He sold a few cows and gave more mo- more money to missions than anybody in that church that year. God got a hold of that man. Yeah. It was the abundance of things he had. He'd sell a cow and put the money in missions, <laughs> you know. And God, the price of cows went up then, you know. It's, and you know what's neat is they took me on for support a month later. I got a check from them two weeks ago. Was it for nine hundred and something? Something like that. I don't know. They've been supporting me now for 25 years. I didn't give the money back to get support. But they have given money as an investment in my ministry to get a blessing. You see, that's what this is about. When you give, you're investing your money in God's business. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And you become a shareholder, if you please, in God's business. When you put money in, God takes care of it. Amen. And he multiplies it. And God knows how to make all grace abound to all men. And he can take up the pennies of a widow and make it into a lot more. He knows how to do that. He can take your giving and make it you have a good living anyway in spite of your giving. Amen. You can't outgive give God. You'll never starve, by the way. God's seed never begs bread. I said that once, and I told you that story about bread. I have never begged for bread ever since or said anything like that. I did never. God has supplied my bread. God has supplied my meat. God supplies for everything I have as long as I keep putting him first. You know that? I mean, he's still God, amen? The whole purpose in faith promise is that Christ is magnified. It's a strategic mission statement for this church. He tells us to focus on our efforts toward bringing about his return. Did you know that? As we give more, and the gospel must first be published among all nations, when that's done, he's going to come back. I believe that. You know, before he came, the first time back in Isaiah, it says in Isaiah 6, Talks about him coming, but it talks about in verse 9, he sent his word. Before he came the first time, he sent his word. And as we send the word, and we get the word out, he's coming again. And you let people know he's coming again. And by the way, when he comes, it says, you don't know the day nor the hour. But when he comes, he's going to come as a thief in the night. And you will be taken those of you that are faithful and believers. Woe unto them that are not saved because for the next seven years it's going to be terrible. Oh, there will be three and a half years of, whoa, where did all them believers go? But for three and a half years there will be peace and safety, but then the last three and a half years, utter terror on this earth. May have problems problem before he comes, but he wants to come. He wants us to give proportionately. He wants to ask him how much to give, and then just do it. You know, it says in verse 9 of chapter 9, As it is written, He hath dispersed abroad, he hath given to the poor his righteousness, it sustained him. Now all of this culminates in chapter 10. If you'll turn to 2 Corinthians 10 and verse 14. Well, back up to verse 13. He says, But we will not boast of things without our measure, but according to the measure of the rule which God hath distributed to us, a measure to reach even unto you. For we stretch not ourselves beyond our measure as though we reach not unto you, for we are come as far as to you also in preaching the gospel of Christ, boasting of things without our measure, that is, of other men's labors, but having hope when your faith is increased that we shall be enlarged by you according to the rule of abund- rule abundantly. And here's the reason. To preach the gospel in the regions beyond you and not to boast of other- in other man's line of things made ready to our hand. But he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord, for he... For not he that commendeth himself is approved, but whom the Lord commendeth. God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He came and he gave himself. He shed his blood. He gave himself literally to us. He gave himself for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And by faith in Jesus Christ and his finished work, we can be born again into the family of God. We become joint heirs with Christ. All that the Father has given to him, our inheritance is unbelievable. But you got to die to get it, by the way. Anyway, but you got to die to self. That's the key. Dying to self is the whole key. You could still be alive in this life, but if you're dead to self and you're alive unto God, you'd get some of the inheritance. Did you know that? Because what you need he'll give you, and what you ask for he's, he's going to supply. God's able so I didn't get that new boat I ordered. Well, he didn't want you to have it because you know you'd you'd lust after it and you'd make it an idol and you'd have this problem or that problem and then you'd blame God for it. But no, He gives you what you really need. Having food and raiment, the Bible says, "there would be what content, content for the such things as you have." Don't don't covet other people's goods. You know. By the way, everything in this life just wood, hay, and stubble. I mean, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt. Don't lay up for yourself treasures on this earth. I've observed what happens to things here. The barnacles take over, amen? Literally, and the rust and everything. So give as God directs you. Give proportionately and give out of your heart. Our promise is twofold. First, The picture will be finished when your vision is realized and Christ's commission will be completed and there will be a gospel witness to all people everywhere. Second thing, Christ is coming back, by the way. Did you know that? This is the blessing of hope for which we work. And the end will come and Jesus will return in the clouds of glory and every knee shall bow. Every knee shall bow and give before him as king of kings and lord of lords. In some wondrous way, his advent and our actions will be related. Praise God. Maranatha, even so come, Lord Jesus. I don't know about you, but I'm looking for the upper taker, not the undertaker. I told that to an undertaker once. He said, well, you got your arrangements made? I said, yes, I do. Do you? And I preached my aunt's funeral, and I gave an invitation I said, I, I give invitations at funerals. I don't know about you, but I do. And people are dying. They're lost, They're, many of them. They come because they want to say goodbye and eat the food. I said, how many here know for sure if you died, you'd go to heaven? A handful of people raise their hand. How many of you don't know for sure, but you'd like to know? I had over 30 people raise their hand. And I'm looking down the hall, and the funeral director's sitting down there in a the chair, and he's got his hand up. And so I said, well, let's, let's have a word of prayer. And I prayed the sinner's prayer, and they prayed with me out loud. I said, how many of you prayed that prayer and meant it with all your heart? Every hand went back up, including the funeral director. And I said, according to the Word of God, if you really meant that with all your heart, the Bible says you're born again. Not me, but he said. God said. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God, and you have put your faith in the Word of God. And I closed. And I went over to see the funeral director, and he said, You know, preacher, I hear a lot of funerals and a lot of preachers. You're the first one that ever made it clear. I felt sorry for these people that have had to suffer through a funeral without knowing how to get saved. Given shall be given to you, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, the Bible says, shall men give unto your bosom. You give of yourself. You give of the message God gave you. That's the best you can give is your witness and your testimony. Your finances are something the church uses to reach out beyond you. You finance missions worldwide through your giving, amen? But it's through your living right here that you build this church. And your testimony here is powerful, amen? Let's have our heads bowed for a minute. Perhaps you're here. I don't know, everybody. Probably a good thing. You know, my preacher one time said to me, Jim, you know, if the sheriff knew everything about us that God does, we'd all be in jail. Probably true here too. Perhaps you're here and you're not saved. I'm going to give you an opportunity to come come this morning and trust Christ as your Savior. I don't know everybody here. God does. I don't know your heart, but God does. The message wasn't necessarily on salvation, but I sure don't want you leaving here without the possibility of somebody taking the Word of God and showing you how to get saved. If you're not saved and you'd like me to pray for you, would you please raise your hand? Man or woman, boy or girl, doesn't matter. Anyone at all. You're not saved, but you want to know for sure if you died today, you'd go to heaven. All right, the other question I have is assuming then everyone's a Christian, except the little ones. Perhaps you're here and you realize this week and today especially that you've not been giving to God the way you ought to be giving. And God spoke to your heart about doing more for his glory. If you're like that, would you please raise your hand that I might rejoice with you? Yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Yes, Yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. Many hands. Father, we do love you. Thank you, God, for what you're doing in our lives. Mold us and shape us to be the vessels that you want us to be. Help us not to be ashamed of the gospel of Christ, knowing truly it's the power of God unto salvation to them that believe, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, as we heard in Sunday school. Peter was not willing to go to the Gentiles, but then, God, you made him willing. Help us to be willing to do the things that we were not willing to do before. Help us to give as unto you, not so that we can boast of the giving, our giving, but to boast of you to a lost and dying world by faith, giving out your word to others. We'll give you the praise and glory for it in Jesus' name.